Well, good morning. Hey, guys. Hey, I want to take a moment uh, before we really jump into what we're going to talk about today and just say how proud I am of these amazing kids right here. I'm going to get emotional, and it's because I have just lack of sleep probably, but um, I, I wish everyone in our church had the opportunity to come and spend a weekend with what just took place, both with the middle schoolers in Atlanta, these high schoolers here at this church. You'd be so proud. In fact, you can. You can come be a volunteer next year if you want to in either one of those two things, right? Right? But having the privilege to be able to stand alongside of these students this weekend and worship with them and watch what God is doing in their life is so incredibly inspiring. So maybe you look around the world around you and you get so discouraged like, oh man, where are we headed? If we're headed here, I'm okay with that. If we're going this direction, I'm good with that. These students are amazing. I just want you guys to know how proud I am of each and every one of you and what God is doing. Here's the big thing. Don't let it finish here. I mean, literally, we say this every single year after Chi Alpha, after Believe. Everybody's like, this is so amazing. I'm going to love God the rest of my life until next week. And then something gets difficult. I want to encourage you, don't do it. Don't let this thing be robbed from you, what God is doing right now, because it's amazing. So enough of that. But I do, I love you guys so much. I'm so thankful for what God's doing in your life right now. That video that we've been watching in the beginning of this series, I don't know about you, but it gives me anxiety just watching it, right? The clock ticking, the ringing of the hands, the hands through the hair. I mean, all of it. When I think about times in my life where I feel this kind of stuff, I mean, it makes me just go bananas. I don't like waiting. No one likes waiting, and here's why. It's very simple. Waiting is hard. And it doesn't really matter if you're waiting in the hospital room, the grocery line for a phone call, for some good news, for some bad news, in a drive through No matter where you're waiting, I'd rather be doing anything else. In fact, instead of waiting, I'd rather for it to resolve in some kind of way, right? This is just how we're wired. This is how we live. In 1896, a man named Carol Adamiki, he's a Polish economist, developed a chart called the Harmoniograph. This is an incredible chart that he developed that people could use to find out how many resources, how much time they needed to finish certain kinds of projects and to make sure that people were as efficient as possible to raise productivity. In 1915, a guy named Henry Gantt took this and created the, the Gantt chart. And this particular chart was the same kind of thing. How do, you, how do you become more productive, more efficient? 70 years later, a guy named Brad Myers, he translated this chart into what we now know as the progress bar. He brought it into the world of computing so you could see what your computer was doing while it was loading something or operating in some kind of way. And the assumption was during a recent study is that as people would sit, sit in front of their computers and watch a loading bar just like this, a progress bar, that they'd be like, wow, I have a little bit of time left. I got 40-something percent left. I'll go and get some coffee. I'll finish this little project. that will just take a few minutes, and then I'll come back and do this. But what do we do when this happens? Ten percent more. We sit and we wait and we watch, don't we? You know you do it. I mean, every one of you are like, no, I don't do that, Trevor. I'm very productive, very efficient. I get away from that thing. I do something. No, you don't. When that happens on your computer screen, everyone sits there and just waits for the end. What they found in their research is that for some reason, when we see some kind of progress, we see a beginning and we see an end to it, we will wait around until we get to the end because we like resolution. 
So what they actually did with the progress bar along the development, they began to then make this thing go faster for the first 50%. Yes, it's true. And you're like, wow, something's happening. And you get to 50%, you're like, wow, nothing's happening. What's going on? This little development right here, I think, says a lot about what we're like as human beings, right? Something that was meant to help us be more efficient, to get more done, to be able to progress along in some kind of way. Instead, we sit on our chairs and we wait for the progress bar to be done because we want resolution. Because when you see something like that, it's uncertainty. How much longer is this gonna take? We don't like uncertainty because uncertainty is hard. Here's the truth, though. We're not the first people to wrestle with waiting, are we? We're not the first people, maybe even in your family, to wrestle with some kind of waiting and some kind of difficulty. We're not the first people to wonder, where is God in the midst of what I'm going through? Is he ever gonna show up? Is he ever gonna do anything? In fact, I believe this struggle with the waiting room goes way, way, way back. In the very beginning of the Bible, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you see this story unfold about creation as God makes all things. And for those 11 chapters, you see the story from creation as sin enters the world and begins a destructive path to wreck everything, to wreak havoc everywhere in this big like cosmic kind of view. The world is in turmoil because of sin. But then something happens in chapter 12 where all of a sudden we get this zoomed-in picture to now a single couple who are caught up in this great story of a God who is dead set on redeeming the world through his interaction with humankind. These two individuals at this point in time in chapter 12 are known as Abram and Sarai. You know them better as what? Abraham and Sarah. Now, I promise I'll say those names wrong as we go through, but just know Abram and Sarai. They don't, their names don't change until chapter 17 because there's some things they have to go through, some difficulty and some waiting rooms they traverse through. So in Genesis chapter 12, verses one through four, we get the first picture of this early family, Abram and Sarai, and it says this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. Quick note here. You see, Abram has grown up in a certain kind of family surrounded, around, surrounded by different kinds of nations, different kinds of worship, different kinds of gods. And all of a sudden, this God shows up to him and says, listen, I want you to leave all of this. I want you to follow me. I will make you a great nation, he says. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through who? You, Abram. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot, one of his family members, went with him. And these first four short chapters or verses in chapter 12, we see an important theme that really runs throughout the entirety of scripture. It's known as the Abrahamic covenant, where God promises these things to Abraham, Abram. He promises him, listen, if you go and you follow me, if you, if you follow my lead, if you listen to my voice, I'm gonna do something in you and through you that you cannot possibly imagine. I'm gonna make you a great nation. And because of this nation, I'm gonna bless all people on the earth through this one Hebrew man, Abram, God gives this incredible promise. What's amazing to me is that God never tells them where they're going. If you follow me, no indication of where that is. Who's down for that? Anybody? I'm like, where are we going exactly, God? I want to know some of the details. God's like, there's no details. You come and you follow me. And I promise to do these things in your life. Make you a great nation. Bless all of the world around you. This won't be quick, Abram. This is a process. 
And you have to trust me every step of the way because here's a very important principle we see through the scriptures. Our God grows things. It takes time. But maybe what's most shocking of all is by, by verse four, guess what? Abram, he goes. He trusts God and he leaves his home, his family, and he follows God. Now, in order for God to make Abram, his family, a great nation, a couple things have to happen. First and foremost, there's gotta be some land. There's gotta be a law that this family has. But then also, what do they need first? People. If God is gonna make them a great nation, God's gotta give them some people. If God is gonna take Abram and his wife to become a great nation, there's gotta be some children. But there's one problem that arises in the midst of this whole story. In fact, it's actually the history of this story. This is typically how the waiting room starts, though, doesn't it? There's one problem. You got a great strategy. Everything's going along fine. You're at 50% on the progress bar, and all of a sudden, boom, it stops. This is how the, the waiting room begins. Everything's going as planned until something is not going as planned, until something derails. Someone gets sick. Someone gets laid off. Your spouse says she's done. Your kids go off to college. They never call again. You don't get your school of choice. Your bills are more than your bank account. This is how the waiting room begins. Everything's fine until there's a problem. Without warning, you find yourself staring at the progress bar, wondering what happened. Things were going along smoothly. So for Abram and Sarai, the problem begins in chapter 11, the chapter before the promise, verse 30, when the Bible says this. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to do what? Conceive. God says, I'm gonna make you a great nation. You're gonna have children. They'll have children. There'll be so many children. It'll be a nation, except that chapter 11 tells us there's one little problem. Sarai can't have kids. That throws a little bit of a damper on the whole plan, right? Great nation, not without children. The Bible tells us that Sarai is barren. Now, I realize even in our community right now, this is a very difficult situation for a lot of people for a multitude of factors. But in the ancient Near East, this was a common problem. In fact, within the scriptures, there are seven different women who are told to be barren, unable to have kids throughout the entirety of scripture. It's incredibly important in the ancient Near East because if you didn't have kids, you didn't have workers for your field or cleaners for their room, you know what I mean? If you didn't have kids, then you didn't have people to help protect the stuff that you have. In the ancient Near East, if you didn't have kids, this was a major, major problem. And Sarai, she's barren, she can't have children. Not to mention that God said, I'm gonna make you a great nation. Now, mentioned alongside of Sarai, right before that in, in verse 30, are other people within Abram's family who are married as well. And Sarai's the only one who's mentioned to be unable to have children. What that means, potentially, is that everyone else who's married, guess what? They're growing families. They're making their own little nation in their house. And Abram and Sarai are waiting for this promise that God has given them, wondering, what happened? This progress bar is stagnant. Nothing is moving. What is going on? One of the most dangerous things that happens to us when we find ourselves in the waiting room is this. When we look around and it seems as if we're the only ones wrestling with the roadblocks that we have. You ever been to a waiting room at a doctor's office and you walk in, you're the only person in the waiting room? Like, oh man, this feels terrible. You have a clock in the room just like the video that's like clicking as you're waiting to go back to talk to the doctor. You can only read highlights, red books, Southern Living so many times, you know? Like what is going on? And you're the only one there. That is the most lonely feeling I've ever felt in my life, sitting in a waiting room and being the only one there. I don't even care if there's somebody next to me coughing their brains out, at least there's somebody else there. 
But too often we find ourselves there by ourselves. This is what happens to Sarai and Abram. God promises them a great nation. Sarai can't have children, but guess what? Everybody else around them grow in nations, grow in a family. And here's what can creep into our hearts if we're not careful. Every single one of us, we're all susceptible to this, even the most faithful of us. It's the curse of comparison. And believe me, it's a trap. As we look around at people around us who seem like they've got everything going perfect. We don't know their context necessarily, but from the outside looking in, it looks awesome. And it looks so different from what I'm wrestling with and from what I'm going through. It's like for me right now, when every time I walk out to get into my vehicle, I look at the back left corner of my vehicle where I backed into a pole. It's a whole nother sermon. But backed into a pole, ripped the bumper off. And every time I walk out there, I'm just like, man, one day I'm going to have a nice vehicle. Like all my friends who drive around in nice vehicles, one day I'm going to have that. Now, I know everybody's like, well, use your insurance. I already did, okay, when I did it earlier. Okay, so I'm stuck. <laughs> Waiting. But every time I look at him, I'm like, man, one day I'm gonna have, something different's gonna happen for me. I'm gonna be like everybody else around me who have nice vehicles, even though I don't. When I walk out of my house sometimes, my wife reminds me of this often. You walk down the front steps, there's a part on the steps where it just sags a little bit, and I wonder, today is the day potentially this thing's gonna crash to the earth. I have to say to my wife, you were right. And I think to myself through comparison, one day I'm gonna have nice stairs like all my other friends who have nice stairs coming out of their front of their house, just like my vehicle that's all messed up. One day I'm gonna have a nice vehicle, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have nice this. And speaking of weight that might crush that thing, this body used to be a specimen of health. <laughs> Is that funny? That's supposed to be serious. I, I used to be able to touch my toes. I used to be able to run a 4640, and now every day I feel like I'm closer and closer to 40. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I think to myself, one day, when I have enough time, I'm going to the gym. Just like all my other friends have time to go to the gym and get in shape. It's gonna happen one day, and I can hear Brett Rutland right now. You could come to F3, I know. <laughs> but it's like 5.30 in the morning. Anyway, we, we all know what this feels like, though, don't we? So many of us, we feel like we're the only one wrestling with the stuff that we're going through. We're the only one in the waiting room while everybody else around us has already crossed that threshold. They're in the room next door and we can't figure out how to get there. This is what Abram and Sarah are going through because Sarah, she can't have kids, but God has promised them, I'm gonna make you a great nation. Abram's wrestling with this. This promise has been given to him. Maybe you even feel like this morning, God is, I just feel like God is gonna do something in me and through me. I just have no idea when it's gonna happen. And what happens is we sit there in front of what God is trying to do in our life, and we do what? We just stare at the progress bar. When is this going to be over? When does the next season start? When do I get to experience something different, something else? And here's the answer that often comes. Life has no progress bar. There's no indication for us. It'd be easier maybe, wouldn't it? Maybe not, though, because you probably just sit there and do nothing and wait for it to come to an end. Life has no progress bar. Yet we look all around us and it seems like all of our friends and people around us and our neighborhoods and our neighbors and our, and our parents and whatever it might be, they have this full bar or waiting on ours to move at all. We know other people who have clear scans or get credit cards paid off or have girls' nights all the time or have new vehicles or growing families and yet we, here we are, sitting, waiting for our turn. I can imagine Abram saying to God, I hear what you're saying about this promise for my life and what you're gonna do in me and through me. I, believe me, I hear all of it, but I just keep sitting here waiting and I feel like nothing's happening. Well, for everybody else, it seems to be happening perfectly. 
In the midst of this story, after God makes these promises and they wrestle through this history that they're going through from chapter 11, verse 30, you see something else take place in chapter 15. Now, this is only three chapters later, but it's years later within the story of Abram and Sarai. And you find that Abram is having the same conversation with God that he had back in chapter 12. How many of you feel like in the room you had the same conversation with God like all the time? Like, God, we already talked about this like years ago. I thought we were past this, God, and here we are sitting here again having the same conversation. This is what Abram's doing in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through 3. I want you to see these similarities. Chapter 15, 1 through 3. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. God said this, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your very great what? Reward. I am your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate, Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. God says to Abram, I'm your shield. As you find yourself in this waiting room, I know it's been chapters. I know it's been years, Abram, but I'm still your shield. Do not be afraid. I am your great reward. The very next verse, word in that verse is this, but. But Abram says, what can you give me, God? I still don't have any children. And you promised me that a long time ago. You see, in the waiting room, it is so tempting for us, and believe me, I know what this feels like, to get so fixated on one single thing. God, there's no reward that I'm interested in unless it's this one thing that I've been waiting for. God, I don't care what else you wanna bring into my life because I'm waiting for this thing until this thing happens. Until that progress bar is done, I don't wanna hear about anything else, God. Even if it means that you, God, are my reward, I want a different reward. I want something better. I want the thing that I've been waiting for. And it seems this is the conversation that Abram is having with God. What do you mean you're my great reward? What can you give me, God? I'm still childless. I'm still in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this waiting room. You haven't come through yet. Any other reward will never do, even if it's God himself. And when we have this kind of attitude, unfortunately, what takes place is we keep ourselves in a waiting room. Here's what I mean. When you're a little kid, can you not wait to become an adult? Like When you're a little kid, I'm like, I can't wait to become an adult. I can drive a car. I'll have so much money, right? <laughs> I can go to bed when I want to. I don't have to clean my room if I don't want to, as evidenced by mine. I mean, when you're a kid, you're like, I can't wait to get older. But what do you do when you get older? I wish I was a kid again. I'd love to be able to sit around, not to do anything. Like the most stressful thing for me is like, why well, I, well, I pass this algebra exam? Or you, you look around, you're like, man, I, I remember when I used to be able to run and play like them and not be sore the next day. It, the truth is, in our life, we are always looking for the next thing, aren't we? We're never really satisfied with anything. And if you're not careful, you, you begin to realize that if you get out of this waiting room, there's just another waiting room to come later on. And so when we get so fixated on this one thing, God, what can you give me? I'm still childless. You've still not done this one thing that I'm waiting for. We actually rob ourselves, I think, of what God is trying to do because God is always working in our waiting. He's always doing something that potentially we can't see. And it's subtle in this passage, but if you look at the promise that God gives him and the desire of Abram, Abram wants a child, but God has promised him a what? A nation. 
Abram's like, I just, want a, I just want a baby. And God's like, I want to make you into a great nation. What God is interested in doing in Abram's life is more than just giving him a child, more than just giving him a family. He wants to create a people. And I'm guilty of this. I know that when I get into a place of waiting, as I watch that progress bar just creep along, I get disenfranchised with everything. I mean, everything makes me mad just because I want this one thing to happen and it's not happening yet. I start questioning God's promises for my life. Do you really care about me, God? Where are you? Are you even doing anything in every aspect of my life? But here's something I think we can hold on to from this passage. God is after something bigger. God is always after something bigger. God is working in your waiting. He's not done yet. You see, there's a family within our church that I know very well and love very much. And years ago, after they'd gotten married, they had three boys. They just felt like their family wasn't done yet. We got three boys. We feel like we, feel like we want someone else in our family. We, we really love to have a girl. And so they decided they would get pregnant. And so they get pregnant, and sure enough, 21 weeks into the pregnancy, they have a miscarriage. And 21 weeks into the pregnancy, they find out that this miscarriage was actually a little girl. So they decide, here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll get pregnant again because we still feel like our family's not done. They get pregnant again, and within a week of finding out they were pregnant, they lose the second child to a miscarriage. And I can't imagine the kind of difficulty, the struggle, the pain of that waiting room. But they'd always thought about adopting, so they decided, let's adopt. In fact, let's adopt a little girl because that'll be the fourth. That'll be a little girl. That'll be great. That's what we're looking for for our family. So they decide to adopt. They meet a mother, and this mother's gonna have a little girl. But when the little girl comes and is born, guess what? It's a little boy. Like, no matter. Number four, bring him on in. So they bring him into the family. They still felt like, we feel like our family's not done. There, there's another one. And so they decided, here's what we're gonna do. We're going to adopt. We're gonna adopt a little girl this time. So they adopt a little girl. And talking to this mom within our church, she tells me this story about how sometimes when they lay down to go to sleep at night and they pray together, her little girl prays and says, God, thank you. Thank you for Eve, who was the first girl that died at 21 weeks. Thank you, God, for Eve, because if it wasn't for her, my brother and I would not be a part of this family. It wasn't for that loss, that pain, that, that waiting room. We wouldn't be experiencing the family that we get to experience today. And even beyond that, there are families in this church who have been impacted by this family who have said, you know what? We want to adopt too. There are kids who need a family, and we're willing to do that. And they step out in faith as well. You see, what we don't see sometimes is that behind the scenes, as we're waiting in the waiting room, as we're going through the pain that we're going through, we don't see that God is still working in the midst of it. And sometimes, as Pastor Nick said last week, you don't know what God's doing until you're on the other side. I would love to say you could see it all the way through. But when you get to the other side and you turn around and you look back and you say, now, now I understand. Now I get it. Now I know, God, why some of the things were so painful and so difficult for me. I didn't understand it then, but, but now that I'm here, I can look back and I can see what you've been doing, God. God says, I am your great reward. What if we found ourselves in a place where God was all we had? There was nothing else potentially being added to this. What if we would never make it out of this waiting room and all we had was God? Would that be enough? You see, God wanted to do something that would take time to grow over time. We are a microwave culture with a crockpot God. And we're conditioned this way. 
Thank you. <laughs> We're conditioned this way, aren't we? I mean, think about it. You can go to a drive-thru and within three minutes, order what you want, go to the window, pay some money, and before you know it, bam, you've got like cookout in your mouth. Three minutes, maybe four. That does something to you. You watch sitcoms, do we not? That in 30 minutes, there's a problem. There's a, there's a waiting room that's introduced in the first minute, and by 30 minutes, it's resolved. Everyone's so happy and it's so wonderful. Is that real life? No. No wonder we get so frustrated with the life that we too often live. We are conditioned to be a microwave culture, but we have a God who's a crockpot God. He takes time to build and grow things particularly in this country in the West, everything is at our fingertips. And because everything is at our fingertips, we expect our relationship with God to be the same way. But God is forming a people who will trust him. Even if the progress bar is slow, even if it's stagnant, they are committed to wait for him because they believe he knows what is best. But sometimes we don't wait. Do we? In chapter 16, at the end of chapter 15, Abram, he is, he is honored and he's applauded for his trust in God. I know it's been a long time, Abram. I'm still working, Abram. And the Bible says that Abram trusted God and it was, it was counted to him as righteousness. He was faithful. But the very next chapter, chapter 16, Abram's wife Sarai comes and speaks to him in verses one through three and it says this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Uh-oh. We would love to throw stones at Sarai, right? How could you do that? That is so horrible. But all of us in our life, we get tired of waiting at some point in time, and if we're not careful, we'll do the same kind of thing. The mentality changes drastically here. This waiting period has dragged on for a very, very long time, and what has happened is uncertainty has crept in. I'm uncertain at how this, things go, this thing goes, and when uncertainty comes in, the waiting room gets painful, it gets difficult, and gets hard. So Sarai says, I have this slave named Hagar. Abram, take her as your wife. Maybe she can get pregnant. Maybe we can finally begin to realize the things that we've been dreaming of for a long, long time. So Sarah, Sarai and Abram, they do. First, there's a couple things in this passage I think we cannot be missed. First, it is as common within this room as it is in my own life and Abram's life. We want control, don't we? I mean, uncertainty is so uncomfortable that if we can control our future, we can be certain of it, that's what we really, really want. That's what we wanna do. And here's the attitude that develops when we're there, because I do it all the time. It's this attitude. If you want something done right, you gotta do it yourself, right? If you want something done right, you gotta do it yourself. I've experienced this with my children all the time. Like right now, Owen, my four-year-old, uh, any parents in the room remember the diaper days? Some of you are like, I'm living the diaper days, Trevor. Thanks for bringing it up. If you remember the diaper days, those were one of those horrible, awful, painful days ever. You got diapers and they're full of nasty and they stink and there's something called a diaper genie which is like horrible that people would do this kind of thing. You just keep it in the room. 
Like diapers, diapers were terrible. I could not wait to get my children out of diapers so my bank account could recover and my house could stop stinking so much. But how many know that when your kids get out of diapers, it's just a different kind of messy, right? It's not like it's all of a sudden gone. It's just a new room that you enter into. You're like, wait a minute, I wouldn't expect this. And so with Owen, my four-year-old, we're still wrestling with this whole thing because, you know, bathroom is not the easiest thing for a little kid to do on their own. So we have told him, listen, when you go to the bathroom, we need to know about it, okay, to make sure that everything's clean and everything's good. You tell us, we'll come help. So Owen has developed his own way of doing this. And so what he does is he'll come to us in the living room. This is not a joke, people. He'll come to us in the living room, and he has a little whistle from when I coached football for Eli, and he says to me, Dad, I'm going to the bathroom, and when I'm ready for you, I'm blowing this whistle. I'm like, okay. So he's like, I'll be back. So he'll go, like five minutes, he's across the house. All of a sudden, you hear this faintly in the distance. Tweet. And my wife and I are like, go ahead. She's like, no, you go, you go. And we take too long, so guess what happens again? Tweet. He starts blowing this whistle. And if we don't come fast enough, guess what happens? If you want something done, you gotta do it yourself. So all of a sudden, he comes back out in the living room like, wait a minute, go back to the bathroom. So he came to me the other day, he's like, listen, Dad, here's what, I got a Nerf gun. When I'm ready for you, I'm gonna shoot this Nerf gun, and then you gotta come. I'm like, oh my gosh. He came to me the other day in the living room, he's like, Dad, listen, I'm going to the bathroom. When I'm ready for you, I'm gonna do this. <laughs> like, okay. And then it's time for you to come. But we tell him, like, listen, wait for us. You need help, okay? Go back in there and wait for us. But when he does it, it's a mess, right? But the same thing is true within our life as well. Here's the thing, we can't do this for him until he's like 25 years old. He, at some point in time, he's gonna have to learn this. But if he doesn't learn how to wait for us right now and learn the lessons of waiting for us right now, he'll never learn the vital lessons when the next waiting room comes, the more difficult things come. What would it look like for us to be willing to see ourselves in this waiting room and say, I know this is difficult, I'm ready for it to be done, rather than moving on because God's not showing up not waiting on him to confirm some kind of decision, we get restless and we decide to do it on our own. And too often we create a mess for ourselves. I know young adults, because I was one of these young adults, who wanted to get married so bad at like 20 years old. I thought I was so ready. And so what I ended up doing is I felt like every relationship that came across, I'm like, this is it, this is it. Finally, like I'm 20, finally I've met the person. Like, this is and I tried to make every relationship be it. So I didn't want the pain of waiting for that to come. I began to try to rush everything. And God was holding out on his end of the deal, I felt like. How many of us, you're unhappy in your job, and so you get this opportunity that comes along, and you know in your heart this is not the right thing. It's gonna be too many hours for my family. I've traveled too much. It's not gonna be the right thing, but I'm so unhappy. I'm so disenfranchised with my job now. I'm so frustrated. I'm gonna do it anyway. Because God, you've not showed up. I'm gonna make it happen on my own. You want a new vehicle. <clears throat> and you know that if you buy a new one, you're gonna break the budget, but guess what? I'm gonna do it anyways. I'm tired of being in this comparison. I'm tired of wrestling with this thing, and so you take on a debt that you can't really handle. When we don't wait on God, we, we rob ourselves of what God is trying to shape and form within us to be ready for the next waiting room. Because there's always another one to come. You see, living in the waiting room is about making decisions for God's preferred future, keeping those things in mind. When we go in haste, when we are desperate, we discourage ourselves and we harm other people. Let's go back to chapter 16. 
See, in chapter 15, God was, or Abram was honored for his faith in God. Chapter 16, he and Sarai, they are done waiting. They're gonna make it happen on their own. And in doing so, how many times have I made a decision that I knew wasn't right, but I did it anyway, and as soon as I did it, I thought, why did I do that? I get so frustrated myself that I can't endure. I can't wait on God. Let alone the fact that in this story, there's a woman named Hagar who is completely stuck in the middle. She's an Egyptian slave of Sarai and Abram. She has no say in the matter. Essentially, she's trafficked within the story to have a child because Abram is tired of waiting. So he takes matters into his own hands and it got really dark. See, if we're not careful, we find some of the people who are closest to us who become collateral damage because we can't wait. There are some students who I've known in this program for years and years who have been waiting and wanting joy within their life. But instead of waiting for joy in their life that God would bring to them, they decide to settle for a substance. And I see families that wrestle with this all the time, parents who love their kid. But they're the ones that get put in a waiting room because this kid can't wait for what God has for them. They're gonna find it on their own. It's like, I wanna be a good dad but I'm not willing to go through what it takes to wrestle with my own selfish desires, my kids' insanity. I wanna be the good dad right now. I wanna be rid of all my debt, but I can't say no to the things I keep on buying so I can get out of debt and so I keep myself in this waiting room. It's like I want that beautiful marriage, but I'm not willing to put her ahead of myself and humble myself. I want the resources of God without building the relationship with God. I want to be the character in my own story instead of allowing God to build the character in me to be a part of his story. And we have to ask ourselves a very, very important question today when we find ourselves in this place, and it's this. What is the greater reward? What is the greater reward? Is the greater reward deciding this is what I want so badly that I'm gonna make it happen, I'll grab it no matter what, this waiting room is so painful, I can't wait any longer. Is that the greater reward or is the greater reward saying, even though it's painful, I will wait on you, God. Because I know you're making me into a certain kind of person. I know that I want this thing, but you're trying to build a nation because you're a God who grows things. What if we were willing to wait? Trusting God in the middle of all of it. There's a woman that came to our church just a few months ago named Catherine Wolf. And there's some things in our own family that we were wrestling with, some things in our extended family. And so my wife stumbled upon this book called um, Hope Heals. And she read this book by Catherine Wolf and it blew her mind. I heard about it for months. And she was relentless. And this women's ministry at this church is amazing. Like, we'll get Catherine Wolf here. We'll do it. And so sure enough, she came here and she spoke. And she has this thing that she says. She says, don't wait to celebrate. You see, Catherine Wolf, she had a massive brainstem stroke in 2008, and her life was altered forever. Major physical disabilities just months after having her first child. And here's the thing, she says in her book, her life will never be, the, be different. This is, this is what her life is now, this is the new normal. So what she said she has to do is she finds herself in this waiting room every single day is when something good happens, you celebrate it. So I saw on Instagram just the other day, she and her family went to go get a scan to see how things were going on in her brain. And they went and got the scan and it turns out things were good today and so they had a celebration. Don't wait to celebrate. When you find yourself in the waiting room, 
waiting for that progress bar to finally be done. If we're not careful, we'll sit there and stare at it and we'll miss all the good things that God is bringing into our life right here and right now. I think the only thing that we can actually do in the waiting room when it's not something we can control is to celebrate the good, to not wait to celebrate. You see, the story of Abram is not over. In fact, in chapter 17, his name changes from Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. So they learn something even in the midst of their mess because God can take messes and make miracles, amen? This is what God does. There was a mess, but God eventually gives Abraham a son named Isaac. It's the beginning of this nation to begin to be built. In fact, it's the reason that we're sitting here today. The story wasn't over. If you've come here this morning, you feel like my story is a mess. And I'm staring at this progress bar. I'm like at 30% and it's been stuck here forever. Guess what? It used to be 10%. That's something worth celebrating. Don't wait to celebrate. Know that God is working in your waiting, even right here and right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, that you are at work even when we don't see you. Thank you, God, that you're willing to take our mess and, and make a miracle, God. Thank you so much that even though too often we want the product, God, but we don't want the process, help us to see, God, that you are working in us. You're making us a certain kind of people, not just for this waiting room, but potentially for the one that's to come. Give us a supernatural patience, God, and an incredible trust, knowing that you love us and you care for us. I pray, God, that every one of us in this room this morning, as we leave here today, we will keep an eye out for the good that you bring into our life that we might celebrate it and celebrate it with all that we have. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen.